You've seen their TV shows. You've watched their webcasts. Now, the boys invite you to Poker in the Ears. Hello, my babies, and welcome to Poker in the Ears. I am Uncle Daddy Joe Stapleton. Here's my work wife, James Hardigan. I was going to complain about having a stressful week, but then I remembered that you keep flying halfway around the world to talk about poker, and you have to get up at six in the morning and sit there in your vest to co-host this podcast. So I'm going to keep to I want to know how many people, like, obviously, many of our listeners are Europeans and they hear vest and they know what you're talking about. But I wonder if, like, the dozen or so Americans that listen think I'm in, like, a three-piece suit right now. So what I refer to as a vest, how do you describe that to American listeners? A tank top. A tank top. Tank top. Okay. Joe is currently wearing a tank top. I am wearing a tank top. We got a lot to do today. I just got back from the Patrick Antonius Poker Challenge. Uh, There was some crazy cash PLO and No Limit Hold'em I got to cover. Had a couple of fun nights out with Patrick. More on that later. Uh, While I was gone, the Global Poker Awards happened. And a member of our live stream team and one of our really good friends, Maria Ho, she was not only present and nominated, but she was also a winner. She is going to be the guest on our show today. I'm so glad that we called this last week. We said that we could kill two birds with one stone. So we get Maria to do our uh, Global Poker Awards recap. And there's more. That's right. As long as she's here to do her victory lap for the Global Poker Award, she can also be here for my victory lap from Bay 101, which we haven't properly covered yet. So dare I say we're going to talk some strat today. Maybe almost for the first time ever. I'm more laughing at the fact that we would do a victory lap for a 38th place finish. I was, I was actually thinking about that. But that's, you know, <laughs> when the bar is very low, you uh, you celebrate different things. Superfan versus Stapes this week is a fellow named Chris Hatton from Stroud. Why do I know that name? Uh, it's Spraggyville. It's where Spraggy's from. Oh, Spraggy. I love Spraggy. Uh, his specialty subject, Tropic Thunder. Uh, and James, I, I've mentioned this before, but I'm not joking. Um, not only was it, I thought, the best comedy the year it came out, I thought it was the best film. I, I thought it should have won Best Picture the year it came out. Um, I think it's fine. I'm not a huge <laughs> fan of it. And if we're talking about movies that should have won Best Picture, I believe it was 2008. So that was the year that Slumdog Millionaire won Best Picture. Other films that year that I prefer and maybe I think should have been candidates for Best Picture, Wally, which I still think is probably Pixar's best, The Dark Knight. Yeah, Wally's really good. Let the Right One In, Iron Man, um, which I still think is probably one of the best, if not the best, Marvel movies, despite the fact they've made 23 cents. So Robert Downey Jr. was in both Tropic Thunder and Iron Man in the same year? Correct. That is a good year for him, and a good year for us. And you know who else uh, loved Tropic Thunder is our old friend J-Cat, Jesse calls poker he loves tropic thunder so much and our show so much that when he saw that this was going to be a specialty subject he volunteered to make the quiz this week so patrick got the week off it actually worked out really well because patrick's actually off sick right now so it was almost perfect timing I wonder if Jesse poisoned Patrick just so he would be able to do the Tropic Thunder quiz. The frightening thing is, with many people, I just laugh that off and say, good gag. But with Jesse, I'm not 100% sure there isn't an element of truth to that. Yeah, uh, Jesse's a weird dude. Anyway, thanks, Jesse. Looking forward to that quiz later on in the show. Uh, As far as other things that I've been watching recently, it's time for that part of the show. I finished Peaky Blinders. So you've watched all four seasons? Yes, and I assume it please, won't be back because... Well, I haven't seen the fourth season, so please don't say any more. I, I, I've only got until the end of season three. All I was going to say is that I enjoyed the ending. I thought they okay. did a very good job wrapping up the show. Uh, and, you know, one of our uh, co-workers said that Peaky... I think it was Chris Cohen basically said Peaky Blinders is like the English uh, Boardwalk Empire. And I felt that Boardwalk also wrapped up the show really well, too. So... Uh, it was cool. It was a, v- a really cool, fun show. I didn't love it at the beginning, and it's a show I think definitely got better as it went on. So I was happy about that. I started watching Bodyguard. Any good? Uh, yeah, it's okay. The first couple episodes are all right. Not as good as people made it out to be. Um, the The way it's shot is is done really well. The, the storyline so far is just kind of eh. But, uh, but yeah, but the, what I found, James, is I was on the plane – on my way back from Estonia 
and I I couldn't bring myself to watch any of the movies. I was like, Bohemian Rhapsody, eh. Green Book, it's best picture. I don't really care. A Star is Born seems like a real chore. So I, I just I can only watch TV now. It's really weird. It's weird, actually. On my flight back from Moscow, I had the option of watching A Star is Born, and I just carried on watching episodes of The Americans. Instead, I found it much more entertaining just to binge watch a TV show. Yeah. On the subject of The Americans, by the way, I there is so much about this show that's utterly implausible, but I don't hate it because of that. The yeah. fact that this couple are running a full-time travel business and are then working as like KGB ag- agents by night, but still have time to cook for the kids, sort out their lunches, do the laundry, what seems like several times a day. It's like, are there like 36 hours in a day in, in their world? They are definitely better parents than most people ever have. And they never seem to, to their... sleep, ever. Yeah, no, they definitely don't sleep. Oh, and don't forget the fact that they both carry on extramarital relationships as well. Multiple. That ends up multiple. That ends up uh, is is the character of Clark involved? Yet? Oh yeah, yeah. Clark was in season one. So like, I I do find it absolutely incredibly implausible that Clark leads this double life and that the kids never seem to wonder where their dad is or why this woman doesn't wonder where her boyfriend. Uh, slash who he eventually becomes a, a bigger part of her life uh, is like the rest of the nights a week. Even still, it's such an interesting, compelling show that you can get past. Absolutely. All that. I agree. Um, I have been watching movies. I guess one of them was more of a documentary than it was uh, a motion picture, which was the film about the fire festival, which is oh, on you finally watched the fire festival. Movie. Oh, my God. It's so good. I mean, to have all that footage, the fact that these guys documented every single step of the process, and the fact that even while this guy is out on bail for being a scammer, he then invites a videographer to come to his apartment in New York to record him pulling off more scams. Yeah, so this is what I don't understand about this this guy, James, is that... So if you had to put like a percentage of evil versus like just sort of a like a sociopath that just doesn't understand that truly believes he's going to deliver on the things he's promising, where does that fall for you? I mean, we're looking at someone here who is clearly uh, a con man who is a compulsive liar, but is also a fantasist. So there is probably part of him that thought maybe we can actually pull this off. But it was fascinating to watch, for sure. Um, oh, I, have you seen Fleabag? I think Fleabag is one of the best things I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. It's, but have you seen both seasons now? Um, is there a new season? Yes, it's just aired in the UK. And okay, yeah, I haven't seen the second season. Okay. I only saw the first season. And there won't be any more. Only 12 episodes, 30 minutes each. You could blow through it in a day, to be perfectly honest. And I agree with you. It, it's it's almost perfection like i i had figured out the first season pretty early on like i knew what what was happening just because i've i've dealt with those sorts of people before and i know that that sort of behavior usually comes from some kind of intense trauma but i'm interested to see does the character get some sort of redemption in season two or i don't want to say anything about it i want you to discover it for yourself very quickly so we can move on and talk about what happened in estonia um I watched the Wreck-It Ralph sequel, Ralph Breaks the Internet, which I thought was awful. I was bored throughout, and I thought it was a re- one of the worst Disney films I've seen in a long time, and an utterly unnecessary sequel. You know, I didn't... I, I thought the sequel was unnecessary. I thought that it was... I think that maybe you're being a little hard on it, just because the first one was excellent. Like, the first one was... I thought was really good. But I will say this. The second one was... I thought it was fine, and I also thought that most of the humor in it, uh, I liked it. I thought that I got most of the jokes, but I couldn't. I was like, are kids really going to understand these jokes? This is It was no, like a movie for, for kids with jokes for adults. Absolutely, which is it's t- so true of many of the animated movies these days. It relied too heavily on the references and in-gags. Yeah. And at the point that after Ralph is releasing all these videos on the whatever version of YouTube they have in the film, I thought, oh, this is kind of building up to the end. Shit, there's still another hour to go. It was so stretched out, so overlong. It was long. It was long, and um, 
the weird sort of times when they did use real products versus didn't use. I found it all very confusing, yeah. but I, I thought it was fine. But I, I definitely wouldn't recommend that. Um, like any, it's like not a must see for anybody. No. Like the first one was, I was like, go see Wreck-It Ralph. The second one's definitely uh, totally missable. And finally, and most importantly, I finally saw Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Oh yes, buddy. Oh my God. Oh jeez. Which I thought was very good. However, I do fear that so many people have uh... have put this movie on such a high pedestal that it couldn't possibly live up to the expectation that I approached it with, and. That's not taking anything away from it because it's a very good film and I look forward to seeing it again. I thought the visual style was stunning, particularly the way in which they've mimicked that kind of color separation you used to get in the old comic books, which means yeah. a lot of the backgrounds are kind of slightly out of focus or look like you should be wearing 3D glasses to see them properly. Um, and, you know, it was entertaining and, and a joy to watch, but I didn't come out thinking, wow, that's a masterpiece or the best film I've seen in the last 12 months. Okay, well, the, I'm going to pull you up on one thing, and I know you've got a very good setup at home. This is a movie that I think really hurts not having seen in the theater. Um, I just think that that sort of spectacle and that sort of just being bombarded your senses with nothing else, no other distractions, just a big black room, and the shared experience of it also, of seeing with people, I think maybe took away from it a little bit. And I'm sorry if I uh, if I made it, if I overhyped it. I think it happens uh, with, with so many films, Joe, though. If you're late to the party and people have understandably lauded a film which is very good, it then just gets built into something that it can't possibly be. As we know, when people go back now and watch films that we first saw in the theatre in the 1990s um, and, and that approach them now and are like, yeah, it's fine. Um, because all they've heard is years and years and years of people extolling the virtues of this 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 yeah. epic masterpiece. Anyway, yeah, um, Estonia. Let's talk about the Patrick Antonius Poker Challenge. What went down? Because obviously the the last time we checked in with you last week, um, you hadn't actually started working yet. You were just playing poker and not having a particularly good time. I was playing poker. I yeah, I was just getting brutalized, and and the people there were really fun and really terrible at poker, which should have been a a good combination, but it just uh, I just wasn't working out for me. So I eventually just. Uh, took a day off uh, before I went and streamed and just didn't play poker at all. Just watched some Peaky Blinders and uh, ordered room service and just sort of relaxed but, and waited until we did the stream. And being that they're a new company and they hadn't really streamed before, they didn't really you – know, it wasn't as streamlined an operation as we have, um, especially that a lot of the people were there – as a favor to Patrick, uh, players I'm talking about. And so when it came time to, hey, the stream's going to start at 3 p.m., a lot of people hadn't asked the question of, well, does that mean the game starts at 3 p.m. or the stream starts at 3 p.m.? Or does that mean that uh, the, we start recording at 3 p.m.? Or does that mean that the stream goes live at 3 p.m.? And so the stream ended up going off a little late. But the, I will say this, once it started happening... It was incredibly fun. It was a 100-200-200. So there was an ante in there as well. PLO game uh, with a semi-mandatory straddle. Wow. And it had some of the really sick, sick fins that we haven't seen for a while. Zygmunt was there. Yoni Yakuminen was there. Uh, Sampo Runinen uh, was there. And these are guys that we really haven't seen much of in the last few years. And Patrick convinced them to come out. And then he got a couple of businessmen uh, from overseas to come in. And not only did he convince them to play, but these guys were drinking heavily. Um, to the point where I kind of had to be the James of this. And there was one point where the guy was, where the guy was really too drunk. And I said, guys, look, we can't. We can't have fun with this anymore. This guy is way too wasted. This is going to make everybody look bad. I understand. They're like, you don't understand. This is how Finns play. This is totally normal. This is like a normal Friday night game. And I'm like, that's totally fine, but we can't stream it. Uh, we we got to either uh, remove these guys from the table or you just keep playing, but just cut the stream. And we did. So, And Patrick had a smile on his face and was having fun like I had never seen him before. And he literally said to me, he goes... People don't know this side of me, but they will. <laughs> uh, so 
he was he was just having a blast. The next day, uh, we decided to do a 100, 200, 200 No Limit Hold'em stream. And unfortunately, in that stream, there are a couple of holdouts um, for, like, the drinking and the fun. And again, I don't think you have to drink to no. play poker. But if that's what the game has decided to do, right, if the game – there's a lot of talk right now about being good for the game or bad for the game. And if you want to play in this big game with a couple of spots and part of the, the deal is that you're going to straddle and that you're going to drink with everybody else. I actually think it's kind of unethical to not drink uh, if everyone else is going to be and to sit there and try to stay sober and have an edge on everybody else That's, by not. Drinking. But, I mean, you don't know their backstories. Not everyone no, drinks. Look, if someone says I'm an alcoholic and I, no one was forcing them into that, people are saying, yes, I drink. I just want to have my wits about me for this game. I think go play in a different game then. Okay, that's different. Uh, like, I don't think, of course, I don't think anyone should be forced to drink. But again, it's your choice whether or not you want to play in this game. And I think that if you're not going to play along, okay. you're kind of not in the spirit of the game. So was it all cash um, game streams? Or was there any actual uh, tournament poker as well? Though? So then the next day, again, dealing with some folks that hadn't really done this before, there was this big debate for the third day of streaming. So there was a day off in between uh, because there was a like a big, a big night out. Uh, after the the second day, we all went and Patrick got like a bunch of tape bottles in a club and Chino was there. and Rob is Rocky was there. And it was just a pretty wild night that ended. I think I got back to my room about six in the morning. That's the night that so we went to McDonald's. I got Patrick Antonius to go to McDonald's with me. <laughs> and we're it was like one of these situations where you have to beg the cab driver to take you to the McDonald's like on the edge of town that's still open. And then he has to sit in the drive through with you. Oh, wow. And so beautiful Patrick and his beautiful wife are like eating, like ordering McDonald's at five in the morning with me. And oh, and Miss Hungry as well. People that you wouldn't normally expect to be eating McDonald's. And Patrick really wants a strawberry milkshake. I don't know if you've ever tried to order a milkshake or ice cream after a certain time of night at McDonald's, but they always tell you that the machine is broken because they don't want to have to clean it again. <laughs> And so we tried to order a strawberry milkshake from McDonald's. And now I have this video. You guys might have seen it on my Instagram of Patrick in the backseat of this cab in, uh, in Estonia th throwing a fit that he can't get a milkshake going, they're bluffing. I know they have milkshakes. They're bluffing. And not like in a, in a bratty fit way, but it was just very funny to watch Patrick who like typically does not put this sort of stuff in his body uh, really upset over McDonald's. So then we had a day off. I literally didn't leave my room. And on Sunday, um, I just had a lot of appreciation for our production because they didn't decide until 30 minutes beforehand whether they were going to show the main event final table, the 10K event final table, or another cash game. And so literally, like they told me to be at 3.30 and at 2.15, they're like, uh, we want to show the main event final table. Can you come downstairs now? And I'm like, all right, sure, I guess. So... So then we show the final table for about an hour and then they decide this no limit hold'em game is starting and they'd rather show that. So they make Ooh, all of those guys get off the table. That's bad. And then they put the cash game on the table. And then when the when the main event ended, they booted the cash game off the table to do the trophy presentation for the for the winner of the main event. I mean, and, I guess uh, you can kind of get away with it at these more laid back smaller events yeah everyone's yeah. there just to have a good time it's not not quite the same thing as doing it at a world series or a wpt or an ept exactly and the, and the event you know was a 1500 euro event that had i think 160 players so you know it's not look is it the best way to do it no but no. they're figuring it out they're trying to make everybody happy and in the end they're really easy people to work with uh Patrick was super happy. The last night we went out and sang karaoke. Kane Callis was my work wife for that trick. And it turns out Kane's um, former life is that he trained to be like a classical opera singer. How random. Yeah. And so he insisted on he, – he kept coming to me to ask me about his song choices. And I was like, Kane, this is going to bomb right now. You cannot sing. He wanted to sing Come Fly With Me. 
by Frank Sinatra. And I was like, dude, I'm surely a murder this. It's two o'clock in the morning at a fucking bar in Estonia. You got to sing Bon Jovi. Yeah. You got to sing Guns N' Roses. He didn't listen. He got <laughs> he got murdered. Of course. He got murdered. But he did do a great job with the song. Uh, anyway, very fun trip. Having a hard time recovering. But at the same time, all of this was going down. So I get back with my McDonald's at six o'clock in the morning and I see the news that Maria has won at the Global Poker Awards for yes. like, I think it was broadcaster of the year. It was a, a category I'm pleased to say in which I nominated Maria. Uh, the Global Poker Awards were held in Los Angeles last week and we are very pleased to be joined on the podcast by Global Poker Award winning broadcaster of the year, Maria Ho! Hi, I expected like a whole round of applause. I don't know what Joe, happened. Joe, that was that. meant Joe? to be your part. We'll add, we'll add it in later. Sorry, I can't do it with three different places. I'm uh, I'm in my apartment. You're in a car on your way to the airport. Winner, winner, chicken dinner, Maria, huh? Hi, yes. I know. I can't believe it. Huge congratulations, Maria. And also, I love the fact that literally every time we have you on this podcast, you are either entering a building, driving somewhere, about to get <laughs> on a plane. Are you ever at home? Shockingly, I am, but uh, not for very long. So it doesn't really work with the podcast hours. Uh, that is always the issue where one of us is in London and one of us is in LA. But seriously, huge congratulations. So thrilled for you. Uh, outside of the award itself, was it, was it a good night? Yeah, it's always so much fun. I mean, <laughs> people go from zero to 100 on the alcohol because, you know, open bar and whatnot. But, um, but it's all talking fun. about Daniel, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Um, these people shall remain nameless. Uh, if it is Daniel, he was not the only one. So let's just put it that way. <laughs> I get the impression that people enjoy themselves at these ceremonies. And ultimately, that's what it should be about, right? I mean, they are meant to be fun. They're meant to be a celebration of the industry. And I'm, I, I have to be honest, I'm a little bit bored with all of the conversations and discussions about the fact that, oh, they're not really a true reflection of the industry. And it's like, they're poker awards. Get over yourselves. There is no yeah. industry. <laughs> my My... Main question about your award and your victory lap is, did you get to come home and, sh and show your award to your mom and to Dr. Judy Ho? Okay, so Dr. Judy Ho has not physically held or seen the award, but there was a family group text and I texted them all after. She seemed really happy for me, but I don't know. She might be feeling like... I could potentially become my parents' favorite any year now. So that is my goal. That is my goal is to make <laughs> Maria Ho the favorite of her family. I will do everything I can, although probably my participation will only hurt that would be my guess. <laughs> well, your stalking of Dr. Judy Ho certainly can't help it. Yes, I know. Well, hopefully I can really creep her out. Uh, Maria. We want to move on to the Bay 101 recap because we never really got a chance to do that on the show. And uh, we're also calling this my victory lap, which does seem weird considering I finished 38th place. But we're going to do one anyway. I mean, cashing in a big tournament is a victory. So, uh, Cashing in 100% of the big tournaments you've ever played in is, uh, is quite a feat, I would say. Uh, but I do want to say in all seriousness, uh, just to kick things off, thank you. Uh, not even so much for the coaching, because as you're about to see, that I made almost no mistakes over the uh, the grueling two days of poker that I, I played. I find this so hard to believe, Joe, because every single hand history you've ever delivered on this podcast, whether it's from a home game, a cash game, or another, or another MTT, just demonstrates such a, a lack of patience, and you make such kind of schoolboy errors how did you manage to switch off that side of yourself in this particular event well that's actually part of what i was getting to here with my my thinking maria was that i think that poker is a lot like i always say poker is a lot like stand-up comedy in a lot of ways and that could be because it's the only two things i know but also <laughs> i think there there are some similarities and one of them is that i think that you rise to the occasion uh, so in the same way that it's easier to be a better comedian in a in a room full of 500 people than it is to be in a room full of five, I think that uh, for me, the fact that Maria uh, had so much confidence in me, not to just put uh, put her 
her faith in me just mentally and verbally, but also literally invested in me and put her own money into my tournament as well as like I think at least a couple dozen other people. I don't know how many people overall uh, bought pieces, but most of the pieces were for like 10 and 20 and $30. So I think that it's possible that like dozens of people were all sort of watching me and counting on me. So I think that I really uh, just sort of was way more patient than usual. I still think you're about to see as we go over a couple of these hands, I still made a couple of knee-jerk reactions that probably uh, were mistakes. Uh, and that I'm hoping Maria, I picked out, basically I picked out some hands, Maria, I hope you're okay to go over them right now, um, sure. where I feel like, uh, they weren't slam dunk, but I I'm hoping that we can find, uh, those mistakes because I don't think there's any real benefit to going over hands that I played perfectly or that I played really well. I think finding the little mistakes that I made is probably what's most beneficial to me and to, to folks listening. Agreed, yeah. And this okay. is uncharted waters for this podcast because we're actually going to delve into some proper poker strategy, which is both right. exciting and really frightening. I can't, I can't wait to hear these hand histories. Did you keep these from me during the tournament? Did we discuss these already? Like, no, no, yeah. These are all hands that we already talked about. This, okay. is the, this is the only reason we're doing this segment on the show is because I already sent you the hands. Because usually what will happen is I'll want to talk about the hand on the show. I'll go, I think it was on day one. No, it might have been day two. And then I had... Where was I? It's I normally I when you get to the river that you realize, oh, sorry, it was the button who raised and I was in the big blind, not the other way around. Yeah. So these are all pretty accurate. Um, okay. I'm going to start with I'm going to start with a hand uh, that I won, uh, but I did um, I did act very quickly on this hand. This was uh, pretty early on in the event. This is, we start with forty thousand in chips. Uh, blinds at this point were 150, 300 with 300 big blind ante. Uh, Pre-flop, the hijack uh, made it uh, 700. Uh, the button called, and I'm in the small blind with queen of hearts, 10 of hearts. Uh, and I call as well. Can I just uh, fire questions for Maria as and when they come into my head? Yes, that would be perfect, actually. Okay, so... With with this line here, Maria, is there ever an argument for trying to squeeze with Queen Ten from the small blind, or is it, does it have too much value? I think it has a little too much value. Yes, you're against a late position opener and a late position flatter, but I feel like if you're more than a hundred bigs deep, you probably want to be just calling in that spot. I think there's just so much value in being able to see a flop, and if you three bet and you get four bet in that spot, that might prohibit you from being able to realize your equity it's it's a good hand to play multi-way i think so and if if i could weigh in on this uh in my rationale also is that i don't have an image established yet mm -hmm. uh and so later on i might be more apt to do to squeeze here if i think that i have my image which is to be a typically pretty tight and a guy that doesn't three bet very often yeah that makes sense so uh, the flop comes down a six, seven, eight, all hearts. Boom. Yeah, exactly. Uh, original Razor bets eleven hundred. The button calls, and at this point, I raise to thirty-five hundred. Okay, I love the raise. I like fast playing this for a couple reasons. You have a ton of two-pair type hands or potential sets in that spot, which you would raise to protect from people who have just a naked heart draw that's bigger than yours um so so it just makes a lot of sense to fast play because there's a lot of players that i think are going to call let's say with the ace of hearts in their hand like for example if they have um you said it was nine eight seven or eight seven six six seven eight okay yeah if they had like ace eight or something for example like with the ace of hearts then they're going to take one off in that spot and you know your flesh is vulnerable at this point so i like charging people um, and you also somewhat disguise the strength of your hand. It doesn't look like you only have flushes. You have a lot of two pairs. You sometimes could have um, a pair, like top pair and a straight draw. A lot of times people always think basically that they have equity against your hand if they call, especially in position. So I think your hand just plays a lot better and you're getting all of that extra value uh, from that extra flatter uh, if you raise right away. I and wish I could say a little bit bigger, though. Okay, all right. Um, 
I wish I could say I thought of all of that. Some of that I did think of. Uh, so basically my rationale is I don't like slow playing small flushes. Um, I just, you know, when, when the heart, other heart comes, you like, just hate yourself. So uh, only one caller, the button calls. The turn is the king of spades. And I decide that for the same reason I wasn't going to slow play on the flop that I want to lead now. And I lead for 5,000. Okay, well, I definitely would continue the aggression. If you're the check raiser and you don't face uh, somebody three-betting you in that spot, then I would 100% not slow down at this point, especially with this card. Because once again, if you think that they're calling you with a heart in their hand, then you have to charge them. And I feel like what? So at this point, the pot is something like, I don't know, like 13K maybe. I don't know what the pre-flop raise was. I forgot that part. But The pre-flop but anyway. was uh, three ways at 700. So that was 2,100. Okay, so and then, Yeah, there's about, there's about. Uh, there's 10,5, right? Or no, only one. Yeah, there's like 13 two. in there, I there's think. Like yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I think your sizing is pretty decent. Like I said, you are afraid of people with a bigger heart in their hand, but you still want to keep those hands in. You don't want to say bet like three quarters pot or pot or something because you're not really giving them the right price to come in still. And, and I know sometimes people think like, oh, but I don't really want to give them the right price. Well, you do and you don't like you want to give them a price that they're willing to call to chase and knowing that if let's say a heart comes you you're not like going to blast off with your queen high flush obviously so so you don't have to worry that much until the river comes right so yeah i like 5k i think that's a good size actually i don't know how you came up with that but that's probably around what i would bet too. It was just a chip that was closest to me. Um, <laughs> just the single chip. You're like, oh, this, yeah. this is easy enough. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, so we did get a call there too. And then the river was another king, the king Ooh. of clubs. So and, now we've got um, a paired board, right? Paired board now. And I am the kind of person where I think one of the worst aspects of my game is that I'm not good at uh at going for what i would call thin value and for me thin value is anything where i don't have the stone nuts <laughs> so uh but i decide i'm not gonna be a wuss here okay i'm gonna bet for value so i bet another 5k does that look okay. weak maria considering that the river bet is the same as the turn bet uh, i think for sure sometimes people would take that as weak but i also think that a lot of times people would take that as a sizing where you don't really think you're going to be be paid off if you bet much more. So it's somewhat opponent dependent, but I would say against the general population, I would I, I think that bet sizing is fine. Like I would say that river card is obviously not spectacular because the person who called on the button in that spot does have a ton of sets. Um that they flopped if they're going to continue against a check raise and then call the turn. But they also have other hands too. I think they have, I mean, I think sometimes if they have straights, you might've heard from them already on the flop, but also sometimes people just like to call straights there and then kind of see what happens on the turn. Um, and then there's some potential like type of hands like nines, for example, nines that flopped a straight draw. That's an overpair to the board that maybe contain the nine of hearts, that those type of hands would probably pay off a small size bet because it kind of looks like you might have the ace of hearts in your hand um, and then you might have just missed your nut flush draw um, and, their, and their hand still kind of looks somewhat okay with that run out if they put you on that missed draw. Um, and, and I do think that this is a spot where you have to bet for value because you definitely get called by worse, but you can always bet and then fold to a ring because there's just not that many people that are going to take that spot as a pure bluff. I think Joe's hand looks really strong there. So unless they did river a boat, I don't think people are just thinking in their Joe had flush and the board pairs, I'm going to take him off his hand, you know? Well, uh, the fellow I'm playing against actually then raised to 15K. Oh, gross. It's throw uh, up in he, the mouth yeah, time, right? He threw out uh, three 5K chips, like very very splashy very like 
I decided I was going to raise this before you even put the bet out. I go into the tank for, I want to say, one, one and a half seconds and call. Okay. Um, <laughs> so this is not going with any kind of read instinct. This is like, have flush, will call. Yeah, it was just kind of like, it, it was more like this. It's like, I can't be the guy that's going to fold huge hands um, all the time to people. Like, I'm sorry, I'm just not going to do it. Uh, and I really probably should have thought about it longer, although I do think if I had, I might have forced myself to get away from it. Um, so is the reveal here that actually he was bluffing? Yeah, he had pocket force. Wow. I mean, that's <laughs> extraordinary. So... I'm yeah. going to say great read, but maybe I'm just playing results. Maria, I'm assuming that you agree with Joe's own analysis that he needs to probably consider his action for longer than 1.5 seconds. <laughs> yes, I would have definitely considered uh, for longer than that. But I can also make some cases for Joe um, why he definitely should call in that spot, but just with after some deliberate thought, I would say. Yeah, uh, I, I totally agree with that. And it was, it was again, this is like the second level of the tournament. And uh, it was just one of those things where, you know how if you're going to go off the high dive, if you go up there and you stand there for a while and you think about it, like a lot of times you turn around and go back off. I just needed to make a big decision for a bunch of chips at knowing uh, and just do it and just be like, okay, I'm, I'm diving into this. I can't be a total wuss about this the whole time. So... Uh, I agree. I probably should have thought longer, but I also just needed to get over that hurdle of making a big call. Right. I have I have two thoughts for you. Well, one is, was this person a reg or no? Did you know? No, this, no, this okay. was like a definitely like a guy just and again, like I, I think that sometimes people put too much stock into their live reads to use it to justify decisions that they make but i do think i'm pretty good at live reads especially having done commentary for so long without whole cards um and just sort of the way that he sort of flicked the chips out like i'm such a boss like here's fifteen thousand, suck on this it just all seemed kind of weak to me i love it joey it was a soul read and a snap read um next hand okay next hand is one that um we're gonna skip to day two here and this is a hand that I think I messed up. So uh, this is on day two. I've got, it's hard at this point to remember how many exactly big blinds I have. Let's just say I have 40 big blinds. Okay, and just to clarify, um, this is a hand rear that he thinks he messed up. So please go to town on him. Remember, this is your money at stake. <laughs> your money was invested here. Uh, right, okay, I'm ready. So uh, under the gun, I have pocket jacks. The blinds, sorry, the blinds are 1,000, 2,000 with a 2K big blind ante. Um, so I have, I have about 40 big blinds. So I have about 80 K. Um, yeah, I think I have like 75, 80 K if I remember correctly. Uh, I raise pocket jacks to 4,500. Uh, Joseph Chong is directly to my left. He calls, uh, the fella two to his left with about, I want to say it was 27 big blinds. I remember in retrospect, telling you, Maria, it was 25 big blinds. It was definitely not as many as 30, but it was it was probably one or two more than 25 big blinds. So I want to say it's about 27 big blinds. He makes it 15K. Uh, the big blind comes all the way back around the big blind, who then moves in for 20,000 total. And so now I've got to decide what to do with pocket jacks here. And I decide I'm not that worried about what Joe Chong has got. And so now I've just got to worry about this guy's only got 25 big blinds. He can't break me. I've got the guy to my right who's all in for about uh, 15 big blinds, not even 15 big blinds, 10 big blinds. Uh, and so I decide to shove my pocket jacks. Uh, Joe Chong folds the three better calls. And of course, I'm up against aces and ace king. And I feel just sick about it. I feel like I really fucked this up that I probably should have just got away from jacks. Okay. Well, first of all, I'm going to start by saying, James, I would really have loved to go to town on Joe, but <laughs> I don't, don't think I, I don't, I don't think I can. This is, um, I mean, we're talking about for, a close spot. We're talking about the 27 bigs effective. It, it seems very hard to get away from Jack's, right? 
No, I mean, it's a super, super hard spot to get away from jacks just because of the stack sizes. Um, I mean, yes, you can consider the fact that because the person chose to three bet you off of their 27 bigs versus just jamming that it looks more strong, like it looks more like aces or kings because you would think with ace king they would just shove but you can't really but that still doesn't i don't think play enough um play as a big for you to just put your jacks in the muck and as you had said joe i wouldn't be that worried about joe chong's hand um what was joe chong's effective stack did you say that uh he had more chips than me he had he had me covered yeah, I mean, still, I, I still don't think it really matters. I think, especially with the big blinds in there, I feel like it just gives you a little bit more of a reason where if there's, a, you know, a legitimate chance that the three better has ace king in that spot, there's no reason why, you know, there's just so much dead money and the big blinds hand is just pretty much it like literally doesn't matter what they have. There's just too much dead money in the pot. If there's a chance that you're flipping against the original three better, you really have to go with your hand. All right. Uh, I think we probably have time for one more hand. Let's do it. Do you, do you guys want a hand where uh, we play through to the river or, or uh, a hand that where I think I maybe misplayed the river or a hand where you think we think maybe I misplayed it. Well, I know I misplayed it pre-flop and we can just make fun of me. Whichever is going to be the greater learning experience. Okay, I think maybe the learning experience will be... Well, we'll do this one because it's going to be a, a better learning experience, but it's a shorthand, but I think it'll be a better learning experience. So uh, we're on day two. The bubble has burst, and I've been at the table with uh, Ari Angle and Dylan Wilkerson for a while, who are both uh, bounties. And uh, on the bubble, Dylan had shoved for five big blinds from middle position and somehow everyone folded to me in the small blind uh and i have 10 9 off and ari angle is sitting directly to my left in the big blind um so i call and angle peels as well and long story short on that hand is that dylan ends up tripling up um so it was just a little relevant to to this particular situation i just thought it was bizarre that Dylan was all in for five big blinds and a bounty and uh, it got folded around to me. But of course I lose five big blinds on a hand. And so now I'm, I'm relatively short. I got about 35 big blinds. Uh, blinds are 2,500, 5,000 with a 5k big blind ante. Uh, I have about, uh, let's see, I have about 30 big blinds. So what is that? That's uh, 60,000. No, you said the blinds are twenty five five. Then you should have one hundred and fifty. Right. That's right. Yes, one hundred and thirty thousand. And Ari's got about seventy thousand. Uh, and I make it with a six in the small blind. He's in the big blind. I make it nineteen thousand. Assuming that he will either just fold or move all in on me, but he does not. He just calls. Uh, and the flop comes: king, queen, jack, all hearts. I have a six with the ace of hearts. I bet twenty five thousand. He shoves, I call, he has jack nine, and it holds, and I feel like this is a hand that I screwed up. Go to town. Um, can I just throw in my two cents? Why on earth would you make it 19K and not just shove on him with any ace? That that would be the that would be the mistake. Damn yes. right, James. Are you GD out of your mind, Joe? <laughs> like, seriously, though, Joe, this is... I mean, do you not listen to me when I'm in the booth? I distinctly remember telling lots of people listening that, A, given certain effective stack sizes with a certain range of hands, you got to just put your opponent all in. Not to mention, I've also said on the stream before that nowadays lots of people are peeling much more often off of like a 10 to 15 or 10 to 20 big blind stack than before. Um, people are kind of realizing that especially I understand that your raise size is bigger than the raise sizes that we might have talked about because, of course, against a 2x raise or something like that, people are going to be peeling all kinds of stuff from the blinds. But, I mean, with our angle having less than 15 big blinds and you having any ace in your hand, you have to just set him all in because, I mean, it turned out that like, okay, post-flop plays itself fine if you're going to make it nineteen thousand, and he's just going to call then after the flop you're you're just committed to the hand because you have the nut flush draw in your in your hand but i mean 
it turns out that Ari let's had a hand where it kind of makes sense that he peeled to a bigger raise too, because um, yeah. he had Jack Nine suited, right? If he had like Jack Nine offsuit, he might have just folded. But um, but Jack Nine suited is kind of the perfect hand where he doesn't really want to go all in because he knows he doesn't have fold equity most likely. So if he goes all in, he's going to have to see five with a pretty marginal hand, but a hand that still flops well post flop. Um, and so, I mean, he, he, it's kind of unlucky for you that he ended up having the kind of hand where he decides to peel against a big raise. But at the same time, given how much is in the pot already with, you know, the big blind ante being a lot bigger these days than when we did traditional ante, um, it just really doesn't make any sense for you not to jam. I'm just going to okay. rewind to the first thing you asked, Maria, which was, do you listen to what I'm saying in the booth? <laughs> and I'm going to tell you the answer is probably no, because chances are there's a guy at the poker table who has a name that sounds a little bit like a rude word, and Joe is probably working on a series of gags that he can make about that guy's <laughs> name. And, Look, and I, you're amazing at that, Joe. <laughs> but and we after love you playing for it. after playing two days of flawless poker, <laughs> just flawless, like just looks. I'm a human being. I'm gonna make a mistake. Right. Agreed. Okay. And it's better to make a mistake against a guy who has an eight big blind stack. Right. And and better to make a mistake against you know someone who's considered a pretty good poker player who's sitting to your direct left, double him doubling him up is always a good thing. <laughs> Maria, I can tell that you have arrived at the airport by the ambient noise that's been happening and or not happening. All all I have left is a really terrible game, which I'm going to spare you, and I'm going to make whoever okay. joins us next week play it because uh, you've you've been through enough having to coach me. I just want to say thank you, and um, it it really meant a lot just to be able to to go over every single hand with you and also for that lucky money that you, uh, that you invested in me. And it was a, it was a hell of an experience. I don't know that I could do it again anytime soon. Cause it was so fucking stressful, but, uh, but it was, it was also fun at the same time. Thank you, Maria. And congratulations again. You're welcome. Uh, ver very well-deserved award. Thank you. You know how Gus wrote that book, every hand I ever played Joe, I feel like you, this is something that you could be doing in the future with your hand oh. history. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. For, it'll be every hand revealed from that one tournament. Yeah, I played exactly. that one time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much, Maria. And uh, yes, congratulations once again on the much deserved award. Thank you. I'll see you guys in Monte Carlo. One of them loves the EPT, knows it inside out and would do anything for the European poker tour. The other one is Joe Stapleton. It's super fan versus Stapes. So we've said goodbye to Maria Ho, but we can now say hello on Poker in the Ears to this week's superfan, Chris Hatton. Greetings, Chris. Hi, how's it going? Good, What's thanks. up, Chris? Chris, do you, are, are you neighbors with Spraggy? Do you know him? <laughs> um, no, I do follow him on, uh, on Twitch, but I don't know him personally. Look, if you want to follow him in real life, all you got to do is camp outside of Burger King like after midnight. You're going to Yeah, I know he's him. fairly local to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, are you That's... are you also a fan of the Tetchfield Rovers or whatever it is they're called? No, I, I don't know the local team that he plays for. I uh He's a manager. Uh, he is a manager. He is now Oh, is, is he manager, does oh, he? Oh, yes, yes. Ah, uh, no, no, I'm not aware of that, no. Um so what do you do in the beautiful town of Stroud in Gloucestershire? Well, I, I work in Cheltenham at a, um, a hotel um, or a wedding venue, and uh, I mainly do maintenance over there and uh, help out with, with setup over there. Now, Chris, I'm sure you've heard this before, but many people, when they think of English hotels, particularly hotels in the southwest of England, they think of 40 Towers. Yeah, well, it's, on some days it can be, but yeah, it's not quite like that, no. You're not the what Manuel some... of this hotel in Cheltenham? <laughs> no, not what quite. Is... What is the wackiest thing you've seen while working in a hotel? Um, we had a crazy Indian wedding uh, one time, and uh, that was pretty manic. There, there was a, a few hundred people turned up, and, and they wanted an elephant as well, but we, we kindly had to turn them down. <laughs> but, uh, oh, that's fantastic. Oh, and, uh, yeah, I love it. That, and, uh, yeah, that was a manic day. The idea of an elephant walking through the streets of Cheltenham into a hotel is just amazing. Yeah, um, I know. We had to turn them down, but they were adamant to get it. <laughs> Chris, what is the poker scene like in your part of the world? Because Spraggy is mainly an online player. Is that what your poker life is? 
Uh, yeah, I mainly do uh, small stakes online. Um, my friends have a uh, we do a home game like rotating where we play it and uh, do that on a regular basis. And uh, and there's a local pub game as well. But again, it's all fairly small stakes. It's nothing major. The f- uh, closest casinos uh, Bristol or Cardiff. So it's a bit of a way. Yeah, but that sounds pretty cool. Pub game and home games. That's exactly yeah, the yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's great fun. Um, and you have chosen as your specialist subject the movie Tropic Thunder. I am slightly surprised that this one hasn't gone already because I'd imagine that this would be on the radar of many people who listen to this show. Yeah, definitely. I thought that someone would have had it as well, being that uh, Stapes is a comedian. So I thought that he'd love to do a quiz on this one. Would have thought. What's your What's your history with Tropic Thunder? Do you love the movie? Is it one of your favorites? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely one of my favorite films, and uh, I, I, I've rewatched it a couple of times as I hadn't seen it for a while. But I think it's hilarious. Well, I've been uh, over this many times, but I, I absolutely love this movie, and uh, I'm glad that other people recognize its greatness. You know why, James? Because back in the day, I had a podcast when this movie came out called Poker Road Radio, and our uh, engineer slash co-host, this guy named Court Harrington, hated the movie. And, and described it as unwatchable. And I, I couldn't fathom for the life of me how anyone could hate this movie. Was he promptly fired from the production? Oh, no, no. He was far more integral than I was. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it is the J-Cat, Jesse Abramovich, who has put together this Tropic Thunder quiz. There were more than 10 questions submitted by Jesse. So I've picked 10 at random. They are numbered one through 10. They all have multiple choice options and there is a tiebreaker available. Um, how did you feel about last week's experiment, Joe, where you got to go first? I hated it. Okay, in which case, Chris, would you like to pick a number, please, between one and 10? Uh, yeah, sure, I'll go seven then. Okay, there's always coming seven in your quest to win an EPT Monte Carlo satellite ticket and some PokerStar swag. The first question related to Tropic Thunder. After Speedman is captured by Flaming Dragon and forced to perform Simple Jack every evening, Speedman receives a twig trophy from a small child he names... Um, Half Squat. Half Squat for two points. Oh boy, good start. Hey, you know what? I'm <laughs> you know thrilled. That? I nope. I already considered <laughs> this quiz a win. I did not know the answer to that off the top of my head. I might have got it from the choices, but you know what? I, I, I'm already in the in the black here. What's it going to be, Joe? Will it be lucky number nine, or are you going to go elsewhere on the board? I feel like you're trying to trick me by saying lucky number nine. I'm going to go with the. In all honesty, with, okay, hand on heart. I haven't even looked at the question. Okay. Uh, no, that's fine. I- I'm still, I'm saying like even in the universe, you're trying to trick me, like without even knowing it. I'm going to go with the unlucky number as far as Chinese are concerned, the number four. Number four. Which movie starring Kirk Lazarus and Tobey Maguire about the secret relationship between two priests won the coveted Crying Monkey Award at the Beijing Film Festival? I do not know it off the top of my head. I think I'll get it from the choices. Go ahead. Is it Loving Lucifer, Saint Taint, no. Mission Impossible or Satan's Alley? Satan's Alley. Correct, for one point. <laughs> Some good fake ones. What was it? Satan's, what was the third one? Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible, <laughs> yes. Okay, Chris, it's round two. Which number would you like? Uh, number four. Uh, Joe just took number four. Oh, uh, number two. Nice try, Chris. Sorry. Number two, the original screenplay did not include studio mogul Les Grossman. Who actually created that character? Um, yeah, I'll have to go with the options. Was it Jerry Stiller, who is Ben Stiller's father, Christine Taylor, Stiller's wife at the time, Jay Baruchel, or Tom Cruise? Uh, I'll go Tom Cruise. It was Tom guess. Cruise for one point. Yeah. Apparently, Cruise would had been considered for Tug Speedman and Rick Peck and came up with this character instead. Oh, Thank that's... God he did. That's, uh, yeah. that's one of the best parts about the movie. Okay, Joe. Uh, one, three, five, six, eight, nine, or ten. Let's go with number one, please. Robert Downey Jr.'s portrayal of Kirk Lazarus earned him a nomination at the 81st Academy Awards for Best Supporting Actor. However, he did not win. Who took home the award that year? I'm going to need the choices. 
was it? Philip Seymour Hoffman for Doubt. Josh Brolin for Milk. Michael Shannon for Revolutionary Road. Or Heath Ledger for The Dark Knight. Oh. I think it was Heath Ledger for The Dark Knight. Well, the correct answer is that no one got to take home the Academy Award that year. <laughs> but yes, it was officially presented to Heath Ledger for The Dark Knight. Thank you, Jesse, Brutal. for the, quote, easy layup for a joke here. Uh, Chris, which question would you like next? I'll go to 10. Okay, question 10. What is the name of Al Pacino's beverage line? Oh, uh, booty sweat. Booty sweat for two points. <laughs> You have a 5-2 lead, but Joe, it's your question. Uh, I'll, okay, I'll go with my lucky number nine now. Lucky number nine. Best known for their work with David Lynch, which actor and friend of Ben Stiller co-wrote the script for Tropic Thunder? Justin Theroux. Correct, for two points. See, was not trying to throw you off. Chris, you can yes. have three, five, six, or eight. I'll go five. Ben Stiller has stated that his first choice for the role of Tug Speedman was... Um, I'll have to go options. Keanu Reeves, Johnny Depp, Eric Stoltz, or Bradley Cooper? It's uh, tough. I don't even know this one. Yeah. I don't know what I think. Keanu Reeves, I want to say. Good choice. You win a point. What's the score? Uh, it is 6-4. So, Joe, if you can get the next question correct without taking the options, we'll have a tied game going into the final round. All right, all right. Uh, you can pick questions 3, 6, and 8. Question 3, please. The role of Al Pacino, played by Brandon T. Jackson, Brandon T. Jackson was originally offered to... I'm going to have to take the choices. Donald Glover, Forrest Whitaker... 50 Cent, Moz Def. Moz Def was big. I'm going to go with Moz Def. Correct for a point, which means going into the final round, Chris, you have a one-point advantage, meaning if you can get the next question right without taking the options, you pretty much sealed the deal. Uh, six yeah. or eight? Uh, I'll go six. At the Academy Awards, Al Pacino is sitting with Lance Bass, Kevin Sandusky is sitting with who? Uh, I'll have to go options. Is it Natalie Portman, Kira Knightley, Julia Stiles, or Jennifer Love Hewitt? Uh, I don't have a clue. Uh, I'll go Jennifer Love Hewitt. Correct she... for a point, oh, which means yes. you do have a two-point lead. So, Joe, oh. yep. this is one where you need to go for it. You need right. two points to tie the game. Question eight. In 2018... Which Olympic athlete found himself in hot water after the Special Olympics took exception to his simple Jack Halloween costume? <laughs> uh, there's only one that I can think capable of something like this. I'm going to go with Ryan Lochte. It was not Ryan Lochte. It was Sean White, which means by a two-point margin, Chris, you have won this week's nice edition one. of Superfan vs. Stapes. Another close battle, which always makes it more exciting and more entertaining. But congrats. A win is a win, as I always say. And that means we are going to give you an EPT Monte Carlo satellite ticket uh, so you can hopefully spin your way up to a seat in this year's Monte Carlo main event. And, of course, we'll send you some PokerStars merch as well. Wow, thanks very much. Thanks, guys. Nice work, Chris. Good, good yeah, job, buddy. Pretty, good battle. You do well as well, to be fair, Stapes. Thanks, homie. Yeah, well done. And, of course, thanks to Jesse for compiling that quiz. Chris, appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on the show, mate. Yeah, thanks, guys, and keep up the great work that you guys have been doing. you uh, online and the podcast is absolutely hilarious. Wait, can we, have, can we have Chris on for a few more minutes to keep complimenting us? <laughs> or we Sadly, we're out of time. <laughs> All right, my babies, we are almost out of time for this week's show. A couple of PSAs, Joe, just before we yeah. sign off. Uh, should advise everyone that this weekend is the Sunday million 13th anniversary. Ooh. It's a biggie with a $10 million guarantee, and for one week only, it returns to a $215 buy-in. There are satellites left, right, and center on stars. Last time I checked... 
a lot of people had already raged for this one. I think it's going to be a huge field. Should be a great event. So see if you can satellite into that one or scrape together the $215 buy-in. And as you may have seen earlier in the week, UFC spin and goes on Yeah. Man, two reasons I'm going to be – I'm upset to not be in a poker poker stars. I'm trying to think where I'm going to be. I had to think about it for a second. I'm in Reno. I'm in Reno ne- next Sunday. I'm afraid that is not a PokerStars territory, but I don't think you're going to be too worried because I assume you are in Reno for the Run It Up gig. Yeah, Run It Up Reno. It should be exciting to see all the, uh, I think, Spraggy and Finton are going to be there. I'm not sure about Lex. I think Lex has a conflict with TwitchCon. I'm not sure if he's going to be there a couple days or not, but Jason Somerville, uh, lots of uh, fun, good times. It's, I assume it's going to be like Estonia all over again uh, with lots of poker playing and commentary to talk about. So given how many folks are going to be in Reno, there should be, I should be able to get us a pretty solid guest. So if you're uh, paying attention to running up Reno and you listen to this show, holler at your boy. Let me know who you want me to pull in because I get to pull them into my hotel room. So make it someone fun. So basically next week is going to be our run it up Reno special. The second one we've done in six months, this event rolls around pretty frequently, right? Yeah, I thought it was going to be a yearly thing, but hey, man, I'll go there. I'll go to there twice a year. The The food's good. The poker's cheap. The booze is real cheap. Uh, hopefully, I'll be sober enough to do the show. Uh, that's about it for this week, guys. Subscribe, like, comment. Use the hashtag, poker in the ears. And as I promised last week, if you leave a nice comment on YouTube, I will read it. So thank you to huh. Seb Bibby, who said, love these so much. And to Stephen Jarbo, who writes, this was my first podcast from you guys, and I have to say... It was pathetic, boring, and terrible. Late for April Fool's Day, but okay, sue me. In other words, it was freaking awesome. Loved it, and I will be tuning in from now on. Oh, that's very cool. Thanks so much for that. Thanks for reading the go. <laughs> Thanks for reading those. James, guess what, buddy? What? We're done. For James Hardigan, I am Joe Stapleton. Smell you later. <laughs>